Book Readers Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, April 9, 2018. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 4, and we're at page 48, the third paragraph. Today's readers are, for the 12 steps, Becca R., the 12 traditions, Esther F., reading the text are Rita K., Allison L., and Tina S. The reference number for Sunday, April 8, 2018, is 11,266. That's 11,266. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Becca R. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, ma'am. Are you heard? Yes. Hi, this is Becca R. from Kentucky. These are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening, as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. A pass. Thank you, Becca. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 traditions. Number one. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 48, the third paragraph. I will ask Rita Kay to begin reading and she'll be reading two paragraphs, and we'll comment on both. Thank you so much. I was unmuting. I think it's time for me to go. This is Rita Kay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. I'm, my name is Rita Kay. I'm recovered in Kansas, and um, I'll be reading. Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is no good ep- for women, for which there is good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? Is it being constantly revealed as mankind? It is being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. To illustrate, the prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speeds. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it. When, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, there is an all-powerful, guiding, creative intelligence right there 
our perverse streak comes to the surface and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. We read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments, thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Were our contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nothing, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. You know, I, I've read this part before, and I thought even without the lofty argument, you know, I know there are people in the rooms, you know, who are atheists, and and I don't have, any, I really don't have anything to say about that because one thing about it is that this is this is a person's own journey, and so and um, what I can say about me is that when I came into the rooms, I didn't come in having this particular problem, having not not a problem, but having this issue of not believing there was a God. I've always believed that there is a God. I've always believed that there's a greater intelligence, that there is a power greater than myself. But my issue had always been trust in that power. And looking at this reading, you know, like uh, uh, we, so many things about us we can't explain. I cannot explain computers. You know, uh, people have tried to tell me how the how the computer languages work. They try to tell me, you know, I, I mean, I cannot explain it. But guess what I use? I use computers every day. Every one of us, we're holding a cell phone. That's a computer. You know, we might say that we're not computer literate, but we use them every day. So I can use that same that same that topic of discussion as he's using here about the prosaic steel girder and I didn't read up on it so I don't even know what that is you know but you know as far as the computers you know I trust it well to a certain extent I trust the computer I turn it on and I trust that it's going to log on and it's going to take me where I need to go in order to get my job done or in order to get my whatever I, I do surfing the net done you know so I have a certain amount of trust but what I have not had was trust in my creator trust in the in the God that I called higher, higher power so I came into the room pretty arrogant I came into the rooms years ago pretty arrogant about my belief system and that it was right Yet I wasn't trusting God to take care of this for me. I wasn't trusting God with with my compulsive overeating. I wasn't trusting God to help guide me through these steps. You know, I I was coming into the rooms looking for a food plan, looking for a diet. But I but what I learned once I shut up and once I listened, I learned what it meant to actually trust in what I said I believed in. And that's still a growing, it's still evolving for me, is actually turning it over because that's what we mean when we say turn it over. But this is this is just talking about coming to coming to believe that there is an existence. And for some of us, we're not there yet. And I get it because part of my evolving in my spirituality is really trying to listen to where you are in your spiritual growth. And I know that people are, are reading this and they're having, and they're struggling with it, but I will say, hang out, hang around, keep listening, and of all things, keep trusting. And with that, I pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Rita. Okay, if you just joined us, we're on the third paragraph on page 48, um, starting with everybody nowadays, and we've read through two paragraphs, and who would like to comment on those two paragraphs? Shamalabi. Read the Larry, Larry K. 
Charles H. Barbara P. Okay, just one second. Okay, Tenzin P. Reva K. Larry K. Tina S. And that's all I heard. Reva P. Charles H. Okay, I'm sorry, it's Reva P. Charles H. Yes, I knew I heard you. Okay, Charles H. Okay, who else did I miss? MLRB. Barbara Pamela e. R B. Okay, and Barbara E. Okay, great. Okay, that's good. So Katie, this go is Tina you. S. I didn't say. Okay, I thought I heard you. Okay, <laughs> okay no me, problem. Gina F. What is it, Gina S? Could you say your your name again, please? Is it Gina S? Okay, mine guess Okay, Tenzin P, Reva P, Larry K, I think it's Gina F, Charles H, Pamela R B, and Barbara E. Please get us started, Tenzin P. Thank you very much. Um, Good morning, everyone. Um, As I shared last time, I'm really thrilled to be in this chapter and reading reading, um, these paragraphs. You know, I was thinking, this is... This is a kind of meditation we're doing in in one of the traditions. This is called analytic meditation, where we're we're really gently pulling things apart. And um, for whatever reason, it makes me very nervous to do that. So I I just observe, and um, it's it's not the most comfortable thing for me personally, for the way my mind works, to do kind of logical analysis. So it's part of the ways that I'm being led to more trust uh, with the help of our our meetings every morning to be willing to use my mind in this way. And um, what I really relate to in this couple of paragraphs is the point that outward appearances don't give us the inward reality you know, oftentimes, and then there are examples of that, including what could look like such a rigid, hard, fast thing. A steel girder contains these little, tiny, um, you know, almost immaterial electrons and protons. So, um, uh, and it's all pointing the way towards a, a big open door, towards how can I get connected with a power that is greater than myself, that I can't necessarily feel or see. Um, So that's all I have. I'm so grateful for my recovery and for these meetings and for you all. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tenzin P. Reva P., you're up, followed by Larry K. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, These paragraphs uh, point out two things to me. First of all, it's um, suggesting to me that we all have something that we depend on. So it's getting me to think, who or what am I depending on? And you know what? Yesterday I had a really stressful morning, and I realized um, afterwards I was depending on me. Um, And when I depend on me, Um, This chapter is telling me that things are not going to work. 
Um, the second thing that this brings to mind is, you know, this whole business with the prosaic grid. And every time I read it, I still figure, I still wonder why are they talking about such complicated things. Um, but what it's telling me is, I can use things that I don't understand how they work. I don't have to understand how things work to make good use of them and for them to be really helpful in my life. And it's the same thing with the higher power. I don't have to understand it, define it, um, have it all figured out, but I can use it. And when I use it, I have access to amazing power and things that I could never do on my own, the computer, the electricity, all those things do things that I couldn't do on my own and I wouldn't be able to figure it out, but they're really useful. Um, so again, it's reminding me to use in a practical day-by-day, minute-by-minute, situation-by-situation, use that power, um, not to have these you know, theoretical discussions, but to just have a very practical use. Turn on the switch. I need power. I can't do this myself. Um, and um, things work out much better. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Reba. Okay, Larry K., you're up, followed by Gina F. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for your service. Um, Larry K. recovered this morning. So um, for me, the uh, you know when I when I read this, you know, it's, it talks about underneath it all, there appears to be an all-guiding creative intelligence. You know, in, in any domain that involves learning and practice, you know, like the twelve steps, we find ourselves up, you know, standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. You know, and it's like I'm craning my neck to perceive what they're able to discern from their experience. I want to see that. And so I want to read their maps and I, I want to travel their roads and I want to look at their methods and confirm their findings. That's what I want. And I want it now. And I want to do this so that I may know where to begin and what, what do I build on and, and where do the insights lie as I, along the pathway. See, because for me, I'm, I'm often oblivious to, you know, of the ground I'm standing on and the perceptive lens I see through. I'm, I'm oblivious to that. And the framework is here to begin with, but it, it needs to be primed and it needs to be nurtured and shaped. And how's that going to happen? Well, for me, it, 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 the only way it happened is by immersing myself in these actions. There, there's a power found in the purpose. And if I'm going to believe in something I cannot yet see, I need a sufficient reason to get well. I, I, if I haven't a strong enough why, then I, I'm gonna, I can assure you that any how is going to be plenty for me because I'll choose anything to alleviate my emotional discord. I'll, food, you betcha, that'll do it for a few seconds. Dieting will, isolating will, judging you, that's a good one for me. Turns the light off of me. You know, show me some artificial temporary love and I'll, that's more than sufficient to placate me temporarily. But I had to find a true sense of purpose. And, you know, when that happens, I no longer wake up in the morning wondering, you know, what am I going to do with myself today? Wrapping up, I, I read recently that Dr. Jung, I'm reading this biography, and Dr. Jung was asked by a reporter if he still believes in God. He was in his 80s. Do you still believe in God, Dr. Jung? He said, no, I no longer believe. He said, I know. And, and that's, that's kind of how I feel today. I don't, I don't believe so much as I know. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Okay, Gina F., you're up, followed by Charles H. 
Hi, good morning. Gina F. Recovered in Connecticut. Can I be heard? Yes. All right. Um, so when I read the line, uh, the perfectly reasonable assumption, um, my first thought was to think, well, why is it reasonable that there should be a God? doesn't seem reasonable to me. I mean, I was a agnostic coming into these rooms, and um, it didn't seem like a reasonable assumption at all because it wasn't based in, in any proof that I was aware of. You know, my friends and I were, like it says on the bottom of page 49, sitting around cynically dissecting the spiritual beliefs of others um, when, in fact, I had no reasonable <laughs> direction in my life. I had no idea what I was doing or how I was doing it. Um, but still, you know, I clung to the idea of science. But, you know, the, the ironic thing is that all of these rules of nature and science, they were all here before human beings entered this planet. We are discovering the rules that were already there. And so it's not like we created them, but, you know, in my mind, you know, human intelligence was controlling all. But if that were true, then how come I, as an addict, wasn't following these rules of science? Everything that I was doing was self-destructive, against life, was all about serving my needs and not the needs of my community, of the others around me. This totally goes against the so-called survival. So all of this that I believed in, I couldn't live up to. Just like someone who has um, religious convictions or moral convictions couldn't live up to them. It doesn't matter what I believed or didn't believe in, I was still not living up to it. Um, and so really, the thing for me is, uh, was reading about that uh, preacher's son who was struck with the thought, who are you to say there is no God? And that was my humility. Who am I to say there is no God? Who am I to say that human intelligence is the alpha and the omega, is the most evolved thing in all of the world? Well, when I could get that humble, I could open the door to the idea of a power greater than me by which I could live because all of those rules of science that I believe so strongly in I wasn't living up to them. And so there I could find my powerlessness. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Gina. Okay, Charles H., it's your turn, followed by Pamela R. B. Thank you very much. Um, I'm not even going to say my name. I don't understand because you do, the moderators do such a great job saying my name. I ain't going to say it again. I'm here. Good morning, everybody. Um, I want to drill down where it says, Good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? And then I want to skip down to these tiny bodies are governed by precise laws. You know, even if I, even if I wanted to get crazy and get to a tiny body, which I do not want, um, a tiny body and a big head <laughs> will, will, will knock me off balance. And thank God that, um, that I could choose a God of my own understanding. And, um, you know, my God could be a Rubik's Cube. I can't figure it out. I don't care. Um, it works. I might get a line. I may get a row. I may get a whole side. But tomorrow, I'm going to have to do this thing again every single day. Um, visual proof is the weakest proof. 
you know, you could look like something, but inside is something else. And no one can know the inside unless I reveal it. You know, I was talking with my sponsor last night, and I was like, you know what? Yo, I'll be killing them 11 steps, bro, but 10 steps. I don't be, I, I don't do those. Like, I need to work on that. And, you know, because visually, um, you you would never know that from me unless I mention that. That's an inside thing. Recovery is an inside job, right? And, uh, you know, we could talk about all types of stuff, but the key to recovery is is a trust. You know, what, what, did, doc, what did Dr. Bob say? Trust God, clean house, and help others. Well, I ain't going to clean house if I don't trust that my house is dirty. Um, my house is dirty every single day. I'm a porter. I'm a super. And no matter how much I clean, there's still some residue from yesterday. What could I have done better? I could have trusted more. And uh, I don't know about these steel girders. I don't know about these tiny bodies. I know y'all are beautiful. And uh, just how you look and how you feel and how you resonate with the world is good enough for me one day at a time. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Charles. Okay, Pamela R.B., it's your turn, followed by Barbara E. Good morning. This is Pamela R.B. from Michigan. Um, just so happy to be here this morning. You know, this is one of my things that I like in this book here. You know, how it describes several different ways um, it says here, we have no reason to doubt it. And what are we doubting? We're doubting that you know, that there is a power greater than ourselves. And it says, when, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world, life as it is, life as we see it, there is an all-powerful, guiding, creative intelligence. Right there, our perverse streak comes to surface, and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. That was me. You know, I wanted to prove to you, especially when it came to this issue of compulsive eating, you know, God wasn't concerned with that. At best, I believe I was an atheist when it came to this, or agnostic, I don't say atheist. I believe I was agnostic. I just didn't believe that God, you know, was concerned about this issue of eating for me. And so, you know, I could believe him for many, many other things, but when it came to this, this was not something that I just thought he needed to do. And then, you know, what I realized in this program, and I've heard it shared, that that big word, T, trust, is, is so essential. You know, I just have to believe, you know, that there is something. You know, I believe in, 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 in so many things where I have no evidence. I woke up this morning, and my cell phone was trying to show me about, give me a tip about a new, new map in inside maps, I guess, maps, so you could see when you're in a building and that kind of thing. And, you know, I trusted. I trust, like, wow, I could open that up and probably find my way through some place that I have a difficult time, you know, navigating through. You know, that's the whole surmise here that, you know, there has to be today that blind trust no matter what. And I'm finally getting that, and I thank God you know, that it that today that thought resides with me, you know, because I trust that when I'm in trouble, when I reach a particular point in time in my life through my daily activities, that all I have to do is, is access that power and trust whatever that situation is, it will be changed. And one, one thing I know for sure, 
there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And so whatever it is I'm going through, I will get through it. And that's the part of trust to me that I hold very precious to or very tightly to because I know what this program has done and I know what it has the possibilities to do for me in the future. And I'm very grateful, again, to just, you know, have that blind faith today. You know, just like we said, when you go turn the switch on, you believe the light's going to come on as long as you paid the bill, you know. So I have that kind of faith as long as I step to my creative intelligence, you know, that whatever my situation is, it's going to be handled no matter what. And I, I have that faith today. I have trust. So thank you very much for letting me share it on that. I pass. Thank you, Pamela. Okay, Barbara E., it's your turn. Thank you very much. Well, I'm going to jump back a paragraph. It says, faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters. I was broken. I was defeated. I was hopeless when I crawled in two decades ago. So why not accept the spiritual principles? I didn't have to accept them immediately, but perhaps sooner or later I would. Um, there were scientists all over the world who seemed to accept the presence of God, not just Einstein and Stephen Hawking, who we hear about, but Sir Francis Bacon and Charles Darwin and Marie Curie and Carl Sagan. Why not me? Why couldn't I? Because that perverse nature on page 49 would come out, that streak, that obstinate, unreasonable action saying, why would creative universe or spirit of the universe want to help me with my tiny little problem? Well, it wasn't a tiny little problem for me. It was a killing problem. So I had to trust that there was some God, something out there that might help me to solve my problem. All kinds of theories out there, a system of ideas, to explain something based on an independent principle. Theories, results of hypotheses, assumptions, things accepted as, as being true. But I had to get over the three Ds, denial, defiance. I can name the other D, but I'll leave it up to you to guess. I needed to have a God. So I got one of my own understanding. And I thank you all for traveling this road with me. It is worth it. Welcome to the newcomers. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Okay, if you've just joined us, we are on page 48 and 49, starting with the paragraph, Everybody Nowadays, ending with means nothing and proceeds nowhere. Who would like to share? Katie G Lynn from S. Boston. Katie G, Lynn S. Jeanette S. Jeanette S. Was it Linda Lynn S. D. Too? Connecticut. Linda D. Lauren A. Lauren A. Okay, I have Katie G, I believe Lynn S, Jeanette S, Linda D, and Lauren A. 
Anyone else want to get in there? Okay, Jody go EQ. ahead, please. Jody EQ, thank you. Okay, uh, Katie G, go ahead. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, my fellows. This is Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic in Boston. Yeah, I mean, I, I just love the brilliance of this chapter because it's pointing out who I am at my core um, without God, right? I have a perverse streak. Um, I am obstinate. I am, you know, just basically at my core, I'm a scared little girl, you know, and I'm afraid that I'm wrong. And so for me, how that manifested is, you know, if you're going to be threatening me in any way, <clears throat> I'm going to have wordy books, I'm going to have windy arguments, and I'm going to tell you, even if I don't understand, even if I use words that don't make sense to me, it doesn't matter because my ego is so big. I need to be right. I need to prove to you that you're wrong. And all of this ego is exactly what got in my way from being sponsorable, from surrendering. And I love that We Agnostics takes the time to slowly um, you know, show me how my ways of doing things are wrong, that actually I might say, oh, I don't really trust that, there's, that we're going to make any assumptions. But then I'm going along and I'm you know, using my cell phone or I'm turning on electricity. And you know, my old ideas, well, if my cell phone breaks, you bet that I am one of the first people at the Apple store to get, get a new one. So why wouldn't I, if my thinking is not working, why wouldn't I get new thinking? And that's what this chapter is about. It's showing me, you know, not this, not, okay, Katie, this is your new image of God, and God is this beautiful pie-in-the-sky thing. No, came to believe the power greater than me can restore me to sanity. Katie G., this is where you're insane. Main problem of your disease is where? It's in your mind. <clears throat> and when, when you're out there indulging in your ego and talking and talking and not making any sense, you're blocking off God, right? Like you're, you're saying you're the own I know guy. And there's one thing that will never fail to keep us in everlasting ignorance. And that is contempt prior to investigation. That's being the I know guy. That's saying I have all the answers. So, you know, if you're new, <clears throat> the best thing or coming out of relapse, the best thing I know today is that my way of doing things is never going to work. It didn't work before. It's not going to work now. And, you know, if you really are not sure, go ahead and try it for a month. Get a sponsor. Try it. You know, you're not going to lose anything. You're absolutely not going to lose anything. And you know what? If it works, which it has for me a day at a time for many years, your life is going to change. And it's not going to change a little. It's going to change entirely. So I'm going to keep showing up. What a blessing to be abstinent and recovered today. And I'm going to keep showing up one day at a time. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Lynn S., you're up. Followed by Jeanette S. Good morning. This is Lynn S. from Toronto, Canada. And it's the same part really stuck out to me. It's that our perverse streak comes to the surface and we laboriously set out to overcome whatever. Sorry, to, to convince ourselves. And I just thought, oh my God, that was the story of my life. That perverse streak, it it touched every single thing I thought, everything I did, every reaction I had, every relationship with anybody at work, at home. And my whole life was spent laboriously 
trying to convince myself and others of whatever. It didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter. It was just my whole life was full of labor and hard work and relationships that didn't work and jobs that didn't work and weight loss schemes that didn't work and trying to be happy that didn't work. And it's just it just hit me so strongly, that perverse streak. And what really astounds me about it is I was doing a fifth step with a sponsee yesterday and she was in so much pain and it was so difficult. And the life story she was telling was my life story. And it just hit me. I'm not like that anymore. My life isn't like that anymore. I can truly say I don't labor anymore and that I'm happy, and I meant it, like not, you know, oh, well, happy, joyous, and free, because it says so in the big book, not that, but truly happy, and it's amazing, and why has all this changed? Because there is an all-powerful, guiding, creative intelligence in my life, and how did I connect to that? By working through the steps the way they're outlined in the big book, and the recovery that is available to all of us, not just some of us, not just some of the people that we hear on the line all the time who seem to have it together, but to absolutely every single one of us who suffers from this disease, recovery is available, and it's available through the all-powerful guiding creative intelligence that's right here. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lynn. Okay, Jeanette F., it's your turn, followed by Linda D., Hi, this is Jeanette S., um, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater in Maybrook, New York. Um, this is an interesting um, reading that we have here today. For me, um, you know, I don't, I don't concern myself with where um, it originated or what it means or how, where it proceeds. Um, that's really none of my business um, for this life that I'm living right here and now. Um, what I had to do for myself is be, I am agnostic and I, I don't believe in a God personality, whatever. It is about my mind because I do believe, like um, Henry Ford, if you believe you can or can't, you're right. Uh, or and I also agree with it's not it's only ten percent of what happens to us. It's ninety percent of um, my perspective about what happened to me. And so, and I had to realize what am I doing when I'm praying. What am I doing when I'm forgiving? What am I actually, what's actually happening when I say let go and let God? Um, today, my mind is just let go. I don't need to know that there's something out there that has to take care of it. I just need to let go. That's really all uh, for me. That's my business is to let go. Um, I look at prayer as a way of changing my perspective, changing that 90% percent um and when i forgive that you know believing that i can you know that that's for me it's not about 
any higher power or anything outside of me. It's all inside of me. This, for me, is an entirely inside job. Um, and this trusting in something greater than myself, <clears throat> all I have to know is that, for me, all I have to know is that things happen for me, not to me. Or another way is Albert Einstein saying, what's the most important question to ask is if the universe is a friendly place. And I just say, friendly. You know, now it's friendly. Before it was not friendly. Now I have a friendly place to live. And that's, to me, that's not about a God. That's not about um, where we came from or where we're going. For me, I don't, there is no purpose. For me, there is no where do I go. Proceeds nowhere. It's just, I die, I'm dead, it's done. You know, I do proceed nowhere. But the point for me is how do I live here and now in this moment? And what is my perspective in this moment? Sort of like the law of attraction. You know, if I... Time. I'm sorry. Oops, I think... Did I lose you? Uh, no, you're you're out of time, if you don't mind. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. My headset freaked out. Um, yeah, and that's where it is for me. I just, you know, it's, it's all about my perspective. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Jeanette. Okay, Linda D, you're up, followed by Lauren A. Linda D, star one to unmute. Okay, how about Lauren A, if you could please star one to unmute. Hi, this is, excuse me, this is Lauren A. from Minnesota, and thanks for letting me share. <clears throat> um, this is one of my very favorite chapters. I love the agnostics. Um, by the time I got to OA, I had already been in another 12-step program, so it wasn't really a matter of did I believe or didn't I believe. I did believe. But I like what someone said earlier about trust, because to me, it's, you know, it's easy enough to say I believe in God, but do I really trust him in my day-to-day -day decisions in everything I do? Is, is God first or am I first? And normally the answer is I am first. I remember somebody saying in a meeting that her name was Sue, and her, her sponsor said, are you following the AA program or are you following the Sue program? And I have spent most of my life following the Lauren program, and it hasn't worked out that well. So I need to follow the OA program and, and turn everything over to God. I just completed, I did my fifth step last night, fifth, sixth, and seventh. And what occurred to me as I was reviewing my fourth step, the, the whole thing was give it to God, give it to God, give it to God, because I could just mess it all up and, um, and, and keep going in the same rut I've been in. So I want to be on a new path and follow, uh, follow God's way and not my own path. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren A. Okay, Jody EQ, you're up. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. This is Jody EQ, gratefully recovered in California. So I just want to say a word about the the language in these in these two paragraphs. I love it. It's um, but I didn't always understand it. 
this uh, sentence, the prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. I didn't, I didn't bother to look up these words for a long time. Finally, I did, what is a girder? <laughs> it's a beam, a solid beam, as in a bridge, a, a, holding up a bridge or something like that. What is prosaic? It just means common. So just a common beam of some kind that seems as solid as it can be is actually, when you look at it with a microscope, a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. So though it appears from the outside to be solid as a, as a rock, it's actually, there's space in between these electrons. There's mostly space. How can that be? It seems, you know, it doesn't seem possible. So these, and these same laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it. Um, there's lots of things nowadays that we trust and believe in such as cell phones and computers and electricity that are beyond our comprehension. I have no idea how these things work or how mankind developed them, but I trust them and I use them every day. And I just take them for granted. But when someone suggests perhaps to me that there is an all-powerful guiding creative intelligence, there might perverse, there's another word, streak comes to the surface. What does perverse mean? It means contrary, willfully doubting what, what would serve me if I would believe it. But no, I'm above believing such a thing. So it is interesting. The point he's making here is that... Um, you know, I, I believe many things that really seem impossible, yet when it is suggested to me that there's a higher power, a creative intelligence, my mind snaps shut. Why is that? And, you know, it may not be a great, a perfect argument for everyone, and I, I'm not even sure it's the best argument, but it is an interesting idea. Why do I do that? Why do I time snap shut? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Jody. Did Linda D get back with us? Are you available to share now? I am. Sorry, it's Linda D from okay. Um You can hear me? Yes. Thank you. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. When I came into the, I've been uh, recovered for um, a little over four and a half years, and um, that's incredible. If you saw me when I came in, you would have written me off as a suicide, and that's not um, being dramatic. Um, I was shattered, and I was an atheist, and I wasn't going to apologize for it, and I was a smartass, although I didn't know that. I was overeducated. And I was a product of the early 60s in school and college, and um, God was dead because Nietzsche said so. 
and all that stuff. So for whatever reason, um, the people I respected, like professors, uh, they said that, so I, that's what I thought, although I looked. And my life got worse and worse and worse because I have a disease. I didn't know it, of course. So um, 140 years later, uh, at the age of 38, I got into OA. And these things were suggested to me, and that line about a creative intelligence looked okay. I didn't really think it would work. It worked. It opened a tiny crack, and that's all I had to do to do the steps. And now I'm 74 years old, and um, I've been recovered. I've been in recovery for a long time. A lot of recovery was not available until visions, frankly. And uh, because it's the big book exactly, precisely, how to do this. And folks there knew what they were doing. And my sponsor knew what she was doing. She still does. So um, by following these precise instructions, by doing it, what do you know? A higher power exists. And it's like Dr. Jung said, I know it. Imagine me, an atheist, knowing that. And it's not because it's frothy or fancy and sometimes painful to grow, very often. But one of our folks said a prayer that she suggests, I think it was you, uh, says uh, when she's faced with a problem, just say to this higher power, I'm yours and I trust you and move according to guidance. And it works. It works every time. My life is filled with miracles. And I have to work through them. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Linda D. Okay, we have time for two shares. You each take about two and a half minutes. Preet Kieran B. Preet Kieran B. Okay, Preet Kieran B. Is there another one? Okay, go ahead, Preet Kieran. Okay. Thank you. I'm Preet Kieran B. from Boulder, Colorado, um, and I'm a newcomer to vision, not a newcomer to the 12 steps um, or recovery. Um, but for me, what worked for me is having a sponsor, my first sponsor, who asked me if I had a higher power, and I said no, and she said I could borrow hers. And uh, I borrowed Christine's higher power, um, then she said, uh, a power, do you have any idea of a power greater than yourself? And for me, I thought of, well, I know the sunlight's greater than me, so I'm going to let the uh, sunlight be my higher power after I use Christine's higher power. And that worked for me. Um, what I love about the AA rooms is um, is the slogans, keep it simple, Fake it till you make it. Um, it's I, I was taught that I had to act my way into right thinking, not think my way into right acting. And though these are like corny little statements, they they made all the difference for me. Um, and um, with that, I pass. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, we have time for one more person. If you'd like to jump in.
So anybody who'd like to share? This is Cindy M. Cindy, I heard Cindy first, please. Go ahead, Cindy. Hi, this is Cindy M. from South Central Pennsylvania, and I think it's so amazing that um, the writer of this book took so much time in We Agnostics, and um, I've been a believer um, since I was 17, but I would pray and God didn't seem like God would answer when it came to, you know, my um, my weight and my inability to um, get like a normal um, relationship with food. And uh, I've been in OA for probably nine years, but for the last year and a half, I've been listening to the vision and I've got a I've gone through the steps with a sponsor from Vision, and it's made a huge difference. And I just love this We Agnostics because even though I had a higher power, I didn't, I still didn't, um, I couldn't see the logic of of everything that it talked about and, and just the idea of all the miracles that I have seen in other people's lives um, I've seen I've seen God working and and when I've not thought he was working in my life I've been able to look at their lives and know that he is and um I had a quiet time with God yesterday and I was praying that um he would help me to be useful and um and that I would you know be able to do his will and yesterday I got three 10 step calls <laughs> and I never get 10 step calls and so it was just amazing, and I really am so glad you all are there. I've read the big book at times before, but when I hear what you all have to say about it, it really comes alive. And I'm just amazed at the insight that these authors had, and my life is so much better. And I, I love doing 10 steps. I, I just can't get over how much God works at that. And one other thing I wanted to say is I don't think it matters who you think God is. I think God is God, and it doesn't matter. So um, you can say whatever, and if there is a God, he's God. So he doesn't care what you think. So um, anyway, I I'm so appreciate um, you all being there, and thank you for all of your service, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you for taking us out. And so um, thank you to everyone who shared and um, especially thank you to everyone who made this meeting go so smoothly. Becca R, Esther F, Rita K, Allison L, Lisa LB, Linda D, um, and Tina S for being available if we needed her. Um, we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer but first, let me give you the share ID for today on Monday, April 9th. That is 11,270. And please join us for a second unrec unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. Will Allison L. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. I sure will. Thank you. This is Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Reader in Ohio. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.